Hey everybody, welcome to the Good, the Bad, and the Nerdy Movie Podcast. I'm your host, Tom. Today we're doing a nerdy movie. Now this one I kind of consider a nerdy for specific types of fans. Uh, It's got a very uh, unique moment in history. It's uh, from 1975. It features actors as Jack Nicholson, Oliver Reed, and Margaret... Eric Clapton, Tina Turner, Elton John, and and of course Roger Daltrey and the rest of the Who. This would be Ken Russell's psychedelic adaptation of the Who's album, Tommy. Now, Tommy debuted as an album in 1969. Uh, it was the it's considered the the first and probably most famous rock opera. Although uh, some would argue the Kinks actually had it first. Whether or not uh, one of their albums is a rock opera versus a con- the first concept album, that's a whole nother <clears throat> situation, whole nother argument. But um, it was definitely one of their most breakthrough albums. You know, they had quite a few pop hits, but Tommy was kind of the beginning of a new era for them of becoming bigger. You know, they already had such great uh, kind of epic songs like "A uh, Quick One While He's Away." They kind of had story arc to it, and when. Uh, Pete Townsend wrote Tommy. He wanted to do an entire plot. So it's an interesting one. And uh, the album itself is very good. And if you've ever seen live performances of it, it's really cool too. The, and of course it was later adapted into a Broadway winning musical. Which is more accurate to the album than the movie. The movie is one of the more interesting experiments in the psychedelic the- themes. Got a very in- eclectic cast, and interesting enough, if you according to uh, Pete Townsend, a lot of ideas that they were to, wanted to do got changed for various reasons. Because I mean, it was the mid '70s, they might have gotten away with some of the stuff they wanted, to, but they went for uh, Ken Russell. Also wanted to go <clears throat> crazy in a different way. Now, ever seen Ken Russell movies? They tend to be high, uh, high camp, flamboyant, experimental in a lot of ways. And they try to do a lot of bizarre things. Now, some people may know this is the movie where Anne Margaret got covered in baked beans. That's one part of it. Uh, this is also one where people say, well, it's where Jack Nicholson sings a Who song off-key. I wouldn't say it's off-key, but it's definitely, uh, you can tell they could have worked on it some more. But, uh, like I said, if you're a fan of the Who, this is interesting. If you're a big 70s rock Fan, this is a lot of the the big stars of that time period, all in really interesting uh, sequences. So, uh, you know, and it's funny. Like, compare this to say, Sergeant Pepper's Lonely Hearts Club Band, which came in a couple years later. That's really ridiculous. This one's over the top, but enjoyable. You know, partially because they actually act, they have dialogue, although most of it's sung. It is very much operatic in that almost everything, all the dialogue is entirely from song lyrics. So nobody's actually talking as much as seeing their parts. But the plot is very streamlined. I think that's also one of the things, you know, Sgt. Pepper did not have an actual plot from the songs they're based on. Tommy is a double album that had an, an entire arc. Now they had made some specific adjustments. Uh, now in the uh, album... Tommy's born. Uh, Tommy's dad disappears during World War One. In this one, it's World War Two. That's fine. Not much of a, not much of a difference. You know what they're going for. So uh, in England, <clears throat> World War One was pretty notorious for how many people did went to war and didn't come back. 
World War II, uh, a lot of, you know, just a little more for American audiences, I think. America's involvement in World War I was not near as uh, specific as World War II. So, uh, the plot is, you know, Tommy's born, uh, well, Captain Walker went off to war before Tommy was born. He didn't, he doesn't come home. Uh, Tommy's born at the end of the war, so. Now, in the movie, it's implied it's VE Day, which, by the way, that's my birthday, so that's why I always think there's a neat little bit about this thing. Uh, in the, uh, album, I believe, it's supposed to actually, he was born on Armistice Day, so November 11th, or either May 8th or November 11th, whichever war we're following on now. It's implied he died, so he's considered, he, she gets told he died in combat. Reality, he didn't. He just got lost in POW camp. Or somewhere, he, he just was declared dead by mistake. She go, uh, she and Tommy, uh, several years later, go to a, uh, it's a summer camp, and she meets Oliver Reed, who's one of the camp counselors. They fall in love, have a relationship. And then suddenly, in the movie, Captain Walker shows up. Now, Captain Walker... And the album does show up in both situations. However, this is where they make a big twist, which I get, but I kind of feel like they should have gone the other way, which is in this one, Captain Walker... Ki- now, in the album, Captain Walker, that's Tommy's dad, kills the uh, lover of his wife. Now, once again, she didn't know he was alive, so it's not... But he's an angry that this man had... He thought the... You know, it's, I think it's implied that... Maybe he thought he was raping her, or maybe he just didn't understand, or maybe he was just too uh, traumatized from World War One. <clears throat> in the movie, it's World War Two. He comes home. He's and uh, the uh, the lover kills him. Tommy witnesses in both versions. Witnesses and the parent and his mother tells him, "You didn't see anything. You didn't hear anything. Don't you know? Don't tell anyone." The trauma and that information makes him deaf, dumb, and blind instantly. Now, of course, that's, it's revealed that's all in his head, that he can, he's just uh, made himself deaf, dumb, and blind. But, you know, so I'm, I'm wondering to this day why they decided to do that, uh, and which is one of the interesting, like, weird decisions they make. The, you know, several decisions they make are very against what the album was supposed to imply. So we cut to, uh, you know, we have a great musical montage of what it's like for Tommy being like three or four and then as a child growing up without being able to, you know, do anything because he's deaf, dumb, and blind so young. His mother's not, uh, keeps taking him to all these quacks, to, uh, faith heals and stuff like this. So we got a great sequence with um, Eric Clapton as a uh, minister in Holland Revival and they get a nice little, like, uh, kind of psychedelic revival. That doesn't cure him. And uh, then we get a really uh, surreal but pretty int- pretty awesome, really. I love one of the best sequences in the movie, uh, The Acid Queen. Uh, Tommy's stepfather takes him to The Acid Queen, a prostitute, to make a man out of him. Uh, now, in this one, it's played by Tina Turner, and she's really good at it. It's a great performance, and it gets really mysterious messed up we get you know there's implications of heroin uh you know there's a it's interesting because you think it's 1975 there's implications about stds possibly hiv even though this is six years before the hiv is even identified but the idea of like a dangerous sex and likely i mean let's let's be honest you know while roger daltrey's playing him at this point he's supposed to either be a teenager or at least maybe an adult 
I think it's safe to say Tommy's supposed to, even though Roger Dalty's playing him, he, Tommy's supposed to be a, maybe a teen. It's, he's basically being raped, too. So it's very surreal stuff that they, they implicate. We don't actually see the sex. We kind of see, it gets more into this kind of strange, psychedelic, uh, Ex, kind of expression of it, including like you know, like a uh, like a Iron Maiden of like needles. Funny enough, uh, if you've ever heard, uh, and by the way, Tina Turner's great. She, I think she got had a hit song was the beginning of her comeback as a, as she just recently left Ike. So her career was in kind of a, you know Pete Townsend really helped her career out. That was not who he wanted, who he implied was supposed to be the Acid Queen. Uh, he wanted Lou Reed to play the Acid Queen because he liked the idea that the Acid Queen was a uh, transgender or maybe just a drag queen specifically. And that, uh, you know, Pete Towns himself had a lot of uh, revelations in the past about his own life, possibly being molested as he believed he was molested. And he's also had his own bisexual, you know, um, nature hidden in his songs over the years so i would have loved to see lou reed sing acid queen but once again it's a great performance by tina turner uh then we get uh, the uh, more messed up stuff such as uh the uh, cousin kevin and uncle ernie sections cousin kevin the bully that uh in the album um the ox sings it but in the uh movie uh it's i believe uh if I remember, it's the same guy who is actually in Sergeant Pepper's the brother. But uh, I could be wrong. But the point is, it's a, it's a uh, mu- uh, British uh, musical uh, theater star, and it's it, that's a, it's pretty much portrayed exactly as a song. <clears throat> There's nothing. Uh, uh, they basically play him as like the the kid you should not trust Tommy with. He just torments him because he who, who's he going to tell that he's being tormented. Uncle Ernie is one of the most messed up parts, and of course they would get Keith Moon to play Uncle Ernie. Uncle Ernie is like the is literally the definitive pervy, disgusting uncle that you know, clearly molests and torments poor Tommy. And uh, uh, if anybody knows anything about Keith Moon, he loved performance after the movie. He got some pretty good price for playing such a creep. He tried to start a. He moved to Hollywood to start an acting career. Did a solo album, which was. It's one of the things. Like if you ever listen to um, Keith Moon's solo album, it's actually a really fun album to listen to. But it's not good as much as fun. And there's also that period where he moved next door to Steve McQueen. And if you know anything about movie history, according to Steve McQueen's son Chad, he used to put on a Nazi uniform and march around Steve's house because Steve had been in the uh, Great Escape and just. And would occasionally drunkenly show up and threaten them. <clears throat> Keith sadly died a couple years after this movie came out from literally too much drinking and partying. And he was—I think he was 31. But and by the way, it should be pointed out. I think when the movie is made, he's maybe 28. He looks like he's 50 because he's been—he's—he's <clears throat> he's done so much drinking and drugs and hard living that he's aged badly. If you look pictures of him, say. In 65, say, to then 10 years later, he's aged probably 20 to 30 years instead of maybe 10. But, yeah, uh, and uh, once again, we get kind of interesting performances throughout the film by Oliver Reed. Oliver Reed was one of those great actors that he'd been in a lot of musicals, but also great playing tough guys. If you've ever seen Oliver, he's Bill Sykes. Very, very, very... um, 
menacing guy. Always good playing the menacing guy. And that's one of the reasons I love about this movie. You can't really tell if he's evil or just stubborn. And, because, I mean, he's he, you kind of imply he's supposed to be the villain, but there's also the fact that his mother is basically complicit to all this. And that's sort of the, uh, who's the, who's the real villain in Tommy? And then, of course, <clears throat> after all this comes the great sequence where Tom, they find Tommy escapes. He goes to play pinball. And not only can he play pinball, he can play pinball really, really well. They have this great... Constantly throughout the movie, they have all these great images of pinball. So, yeah, we have the epic sequence of the pinball wizard that was played by Elton John. Famously, it was supposed to be Rod Stewart. Elton John talked him out of the part and took it himself. Got a huge hit song out of it. An iconic performance by him. Wearing those gigantic shoes. And really... I would say it's probably the definitive Elton John moment of the 70s more than even his own songs because you see Elton wearing the most flamboyant costume, the big, those gigantic shoes, and just playing. Meanwhile, you also got The Who, entirely the band, uh, backing them up, which I've always wondered like, if the Pete Townsend and Elton John had worked on work, music together, what that would have been like. <clears throat> so it's a great, uh, great, great... like Music videos need to uh, have... I think a lot have looked at how this movie was shot and I've taken a lot of ideas from it. So. And then, of course, we get the sequence where uh, uh, Jack Nicholson is the specialist who sings. It's kind of it's another surreal moment. And then we get to the most surreal moment, which is one of the more talked about, which, uh, a, uh, uh, which is after she uh, cures uh, Tommy and he becomes this cult figure. Uh, she's living off the fame and fortune of it, and uh, if we get this kind of surreal moment. You get the idea that she's in some drug haze, and that's what what's going on because she she's watching a commercial for beans, and uh, about, you know, she's watching some sort of like French uh, Marie Antoinette movie, and then kind of emulsifies that she's in the movie. She's suddenly the TV fills explodes. She's covered first in champagne bubbles and then it becomes baked beans and she's rolling all around and kind of grinding off in uh real baked beans by the way <clears throat> wasn't like some effect this is the 70s they just simply if you if we're gonna be covering baked beans they they sprayed hundreds of cans of baked beans on her so definitely one of the more <clears throat> bizarre sexual moments of course we get the cutback she's just on the ground rolling around so she's either some sort of drunken haze or some drug haze and so forth but yeah we get the uh but then, uh, and of course, later on, Tommy's now a messiah. He, he's uh, can bl- he's, he was blind, deaf, and dumb. He can, he's cured. He creates a. He goes around trying to heal people. Uh, Sally Simpson's sequence, where uh, this little teen girl, uh, you know, it's another great kind of music video, all-encompassing moment. And you know, we at the very end, the Tommy sits with his summer camper, all of his followers. He makes them blind, deaf, and dumb, and. Uh, in the end, he and his he kind of goes. He climbs a mountain to sort of uh, kind of have a nice ending shot to how the movie started with his father on top of the same mountain. Anyway, one thing I, I love about this film is, like I said, it's got a nice, neat kind of look at what the '70s kind of like. Yeah, you know, this is the same time we've got Rocky Horror Picture Show. This is the same time we've got a lot of like you know. H.R. Puffin stuff. Very surreal stuff. You know, the 70s were <clears throat> really embraced the surrealness uh, in movies and television that 
was kind of being developed in the 60s in like albums and literature. So it's it's kind of weird. It took Hollywood a while to catch up to it, but they did. And like I said, yeah, uh, it's a, a great little, I would say, uh, experiment. The movie itself is is bizarre, but that's the point. It's bizarre because it should be bizarre. I mean, uh, it's you know, the plot is kind of screwy, but it's a psychedelic plot. It's you know, it's an acid trip of a movie on purpose. So, uh, if you're a fan of The Who, I'm sure you've probably seen. If you haven't, go please watch it. If you're a 70s movie fan, watch it just for the weird things they do in it. It's such an interesting look at the 70s when it comes to, like, experimental film. Because it's very experimental. There's some stuff in there that you would never see in another kind of movie. And Ken Russell is one of those, for film fans, is one of those guys who could make fascinating, like, sequences. You know, his plots were all over the place. But... He was one of those guys who kind of <clears throat> tried to meld psychedelia, sexuality, and uh, I th- really just kind of like uh, intellectual thing like drugs into film. And um, if, I, I would recommend look at some of his other films too. They're not all as good as others, but this is definitely like when a you get you get the you get one of the uh, craziest director with the crazy material and just let them run with it and this is what you get and it's like i said for a music fan you'll love the movie if you're a uh, if you're into uh unusual cinema this is a movie for you so that's why it's i consider it a nerdy movie anyway if you like this movie and want to comment please m- m- hit us up on uh twitter where the uh good bad and nerdy movie podcast Please also Mike, write a review on Apple or whatever options are. Spotify. I'm see, I'm finding out we're getting a lot more Spotify listeners. So thank you all for listening to us on Spotify. Anyway, my name's Tom. This is the Good, Bad, and the Nerdy Movie Podcast. We've been talking about the Who's Tommy, a nerdy movie. See you all next time.